At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from Minute Media. How much have you uh, taken note of what the other teams in your division have been doing while you guys are at West? I haven't looked at the standings, or I don't spend. I'm focused on I'm focused on this game yeah. tonight against Angels and all that stuff. Nothing we can do about it, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of falls underneath the. When you look how good those teams are, it's kind of obvious that at some point they're gonna get going. So we got, you know, we just got to try to win a game tonight. So I, I, I don't look. I haven't looked at standings since we left New York. It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Monday, June 13th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show an Apple Podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, and I want to welcome in the good folks from the Fan-Sided Podcasting Network, as well as RisingApple.com. Well, welcome to our post-West Coast trip edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. I come to you here early Monday morning, as I promised, those darn Sunday night baseball games, which I gotta tell you, don't really annoy me. I actually watched the whole game, not on mute with the iPad, but I listened to those guys, And, you know, I like Coney. Uh, Eduardo Perez doesn't really bother me. They don't seem... I'll tell you what, before I get to my main point here, uh, even the Apple TV broadcast with Wayne Randazzo didn't annoy me too much. I'll say with that, the whole stats on the side of the screen with the, um, uh, you know, the probabilities, that's kind of dopey. That's pandering. Like, we have to have a younger audience and we want to have stats. That's pandering. I did think it was pretty cool. I could just go to Apple TV the next morning and see like a three-minute highlight, which is basically the three minutes that you can get on MLB.com. But And you can watch the replay. I mean, if, if SNY had an app like Apple TV, <laughs> I'd go there and say, let me watch the game and everything. But um, I, I digress. It did not annoy me as much. I know I saw a lot of tweets from you guys. Look, when you have Gary, Keith, and Ron, and I've said this before in other, other programs, and you're used to a certain broadcast – you don't like change. That's what the consumer in this country is about. They like consistency. They don't like change. And when they're given change, it takes a long time time for them to adapt. And when they adapt, they're fine with it. Maybe a year from now, you'll be okay with ESPN and Apple TV. ESPN has been controversial all the way back to the days of Joe Morgan. I mean, there was a website called Fire Joe Morgan, if you remember. So uh, I digress. But I come to you after this road trip, a road trip, which, by the way, your humble little Talking Mets podcast host here nailed to a T, and it went pretty much how I expected with the Mets splitting with the Dodgers, really a series we wanted to learn something about this Mets team, and we did. We talked about that, Anthony Rivera of Somebody's Shame I, and me, we, we talked about that a week ago. We don't have to get deep into that. And then, of course, the next six games, win a series, lose a series, and As the week progressed, I have to tell you, and this doesn't surprise me, 
because I have talked about over and over and over again this organizational pall that's above them, the yoke around the neck. Yoke. Why okay? I know it's not an egg yolk. Yoke around their neck. That da- that darn accent. And part of that is the expectations and the paranoia of the fan base. And you saw it full-blown this week. Look, I, I expect the media, as the Braves win, as the Phillies win, look, throughout any baseball season, how many times has the hot team of the last 10 days, you'll see an article somewhere going, they're on their way, they're going to be the next big thing. And you're like, well... Well, let's see, because they're kind of doing the ebbs and flows of the season. The division is playing out exactly how we thought. Let's just let's just be frank. Yes, 10 days ago, the Mets had a double-digit lead. It looked like they were cruising towards another 1986-type finish. But I told everybody, that's exactly where they need to be to push teams back. But all you have to do is look at history. And I've said this before here. Look at the 93 Braves. They were uh, significantly back. They came back to nip the Giants. Forget about things like the collapse of 07 with the Mets or even the 69 Mets who were down big in August. Look at Mets teams, one that didn't win the division, the 87 Mets, who were far back. And actually, if not for Terry Pendleton home run late, probably would have taken over the Cardinals. They were 10 or 11 back at the All-Star break. Uh, 88 Mets, it was a tight division for a long time before they blew away uh, uh, with that whole situation. And you could go, you know, Cardinals 11 back in the wild card. I think it was 2011. There, 10 game leads on Memorial Day, which are really good and set you up really well for the rest of the season, are not insurmountable. Nor should you get panicked and crazy when they dwindle over a 10 day period. Mets went 5 and 5 over the last 10 games on a Western road trip. That's pretty good. I bet you the Braves will sign for that. I bet you the Phillies would sign for that. But guess what? Them going 5 and 5 is not necessarily a good thing. Because, as you can see with the Braves winning 11 in a row, they have to play the other extreme to get to where they're going to get. So, when, and you heard it on the way in, uh, you know, to Buck Walter. oh, if you watch the Braves, the Braves are coming. Whispers, 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 here they come, here they come. It's going to be last year all over again. It's 2021 all over again. You know, the barstool people, oh, here come the Braves, the Mets are going to Mets. Guys, it's all white noise. And the fact that throughout the week, every time, this happens every time. Every time this team wins, loses two in a row. And yeah, they were ugly losses in San Diego. And one of them was with Bassett pitching. We'll get to him because uh, he changes the dynamic because we're trying to figure out what's up with him. Is it a slump or more? I have one thought that's out of the box. You can't play this rest of the season where every losing streak, every losing six out of ten, because they're going to happen. We said this before, is met with sure pa- with sheer panic. And I expected a certain degree of that, but a team that after this victory yesterday, and a good victory, and you saw Edwin Diaz, a key component of this team, perform on the ESPN stage, albeit against probably a second division club, or at least a club that's playing like a second division club that was a first division club two weeks ago before this whole trip started before they spiraled out of control and their manager changed and everything. Got a five-out save. Something that you may need in the postseason. Nothing but positives from this road trip. If you come away with anything but, hey, they held serve, they navigated three. I mean, the Angels coming off 14 losses in a row. What did you think, that they weren't going to swing the other way? Baseball is a – when there is extremes in baseball – it's that regression to the mean, whichever which way you look at it. And the Mets were in the middle of that with the Angels coming. I was like, oh, please win a game before they come in. And and it, it kind of went the way it is. The Padres are a tough team. Petco is kind of like San Francisco when you go out there. It's this sleepy ballpark, this relaxed atmosphere. Uh, it was one of those series you just want to forget. They're going to happen. Even the 86 Mets got swept in Philadelphia late in the year. You know, if Twitter was around in 86... When the Mets got swept by the Phillies in September, they couldn't clinch. Could you imagine the stupid talk that would have been going on? They're going to blow it. It's the the 64 Phillies. They're going to blow it. And the media is going to play into this. I mean, that's their thing. They haven't really done too much. It's the usual suspects that do it. I even cut out the the question from the the beat member that asked it because I don't respect them. You can figure out who they are. I don't respect their silliness. You know, I don't even talk about them. Uh, 
you know, is Buck watching? Yeah, Buck's sitting in the in the dugout, going running back on in, on June twelfth, June thirteenth, to go watch the Braves. Come on, and and it was really a situation. You look at the Braves, you're frustrated. Oh, look at this schedule; it's so easy. They're playing the Pirates, they're playing the A's. Now they're playing the Nats for three days. Then they play. I mean, look, the Cubs. I know it's the Yankees, and the Yankees have had an incredible season. They're going to Chicago uh, next week. I mean, maybe the Cubs could be somewhat competitive. I mean, the Braves are playing. Until the Giants come to Atlanta a week from today, and then the Dodgers, and then they go to Philadelphia to end the month. I mean, the, let's face it. They're, they're not playing anybody of significance. Could they win the next six and win 17 in a row? Maybe. I doubt it. The Nats are pesky enough where I think they'll take a game. And the Cubs in Chicago, you got to think they're not as bad as what they, they showed at Yankee Stadium, but they're pretty bad. So... And then the Phillies, look, uh, they won, what, nine in a row. Then they got blown out by the D-backs. Now they're, they're, they got Miami uh, in, at home, and then they go to Washington. Then they got Texas. They got San Diego. I mean, it, it's all ebbs and flows here, guys. It's all ebbs and flows. So the panic that we saw, really honestly to me, uh, is just, you know, you got to put that aside. If you're listening to this show and you're going to panic every time there's a two-game losing streak – or you're not realistic enough that this division is shaping up exactly how we thought. It's going to come down to the Mets and the Braves. And the Mets actually have a bit of a cushion where this whole period where they don't have their two top pitchers, where Marte went down. I mean, they nearly lost Pete. I'll get to that in a minute. The hit-by-pitch situation and the reaction is ridiculous by the fans. Um, I, you know, they actually were able to now where if they have a stub-your-toe moment— it's not the end of the world. That's why you build up these cushions because a baseball season is very much, and I know that you guys have said I use all these NBA references, but it's true. It's like an NBA games it runs. You guys, if you're a college basketball fan, whatever, you don't have to be a Knicks fan like me. You get off to a 15-5 start early in the first half. Maybe by halftime you're up 30 to, you know, I mean 40 to 28, a college basketball game. NBA game, you're up 55-40. And then all of a sudden, the second half, they reel off seven in a row. And then by the end of the third quarter, it's 82-78. Now, you might wind up winning the game, you know, 110-98. But at some point in the fourth quarter, it was an 88-86 ball game because they made runs. And then you made the big plays down the stretch. And that's what the Mets are going to have to do. And, you know, we, we talk about how he's kind of a surface guy, Francisco Lindor. But I'll tell you what. He had the best quote. Out of any quote, I mean, if this isn't the Buck Showalter effect, I don't know what is. And first he goes into, and it was by Mike Puma at the Post, the headline is, Francisco Lindor, Mets can't wait on Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer to be saviors. Exactly what I've been saying since the season started at that point with deGrom. He talks about how unfair it would be to them to just come in and say, okay, here we go, you're our savior, now our season starts. Because it's a long, long season. But the best quote from Lindor was, it was going to be foolish for me to think that we're going to win the division by 15 games or 12 games. If we win it by 12 games, it will be amazing. But I expect it to be a tight race in August and September. I kind of expect it to tight the whole year. And the Braves, they definitely know how to play deep into October. The way I see it, the goal is to not win the first half. The goal is to win late September, to be the top team late in September. If we can be on top all year, amazing. But I truly believe that it's going to be a tight race. We have to continue to grind. Right now, our road is choppy. It is not a straight line. It's not going up. It's not going down. It's very choppy right now. Perfectly said, Francisco. Maybe the fans need to listen to that. Because that's what it is. And let me tell you, uh, you know, you want to have this extended spring training where everybody in the league, at least the National League East, lays down and and doesn't compete. What, what do you think happens when the bell rings for the postseason? And you're in that, potentially, if you don't have one of the top two records, you're in a three-game set. Maybe at home, where basically you lose one game and now you're facing elimination. You're not ready for it. You have to have adversity. Adversity throughout a season is important. And there's no two ways about it. So... Listen to that quote by Lindor and remember that because there's going to be more choppy waters. There's going to be more tough stretches. How are you going to handle a series against the Braves? They have a doubleheader with the Braves later in the year in August. 
we all knew they had good starting pitching. They had a, a pretty solid bullpen. Maybe their offense without Freddie Freeman's a little different. I certainly think Freddie Freeman in that lineup and in that clubhouse would make a big difference. Matt Olson's a good player. I just think in the end, Freddie Freeman's better. Austin Riley's a, a, a top-notch player. Acuna's getting back. I mean, when the Mets faced him, he was literally just coming back from uh, ACL surgery. So it was spring training mode for him. He's definitely going to be a force. They have pesky hitters like Dansby Swanson, Swanson and Al, Al, uh, Ozzy Albies. They're a solid team. I don't think they're as good offensively as they've been in the past. And I, I thought last year, I said I was surprised that that was the team that won the championship because I thought there were other teams that had better energy and better overall makeup. But their bullpen and their pitching, which is probably the difference maker. And I think that's what you get with this Mets team because, well, first let me get to the other point I have here as we introduce the show. The reaction to fans about the Mets and the hit-by-pitch is is silly. Yes, I know the Mets have been hit all season. Yes, I know that there's some young pitchers who can't control the baseball because of whatever, the weather, the lack of any sticky substance. I think here's one thing, and then everybody's like, well, how can the Mets, how can you, Darvish, nearly knock Pete out for extended period of time with that nasty slider, and how can the Mets not retaliate? Okay. So, Darvish, who I didn't think threw intentionally inside, hit Pete with a slider when Pete checked his swing in the strike zone. And I think I saw a video recently of Darvish throwing that slider from a pitch a catcher cam right behind the plate. That's pretty nasty. That thing moves pretty pretty nasty. And if you don't grip it perfectly well, yeah, I could see it hit somebody. The Mets are a good offensive team. I mean, Joel Sherman wrote about that, how they remade the offense and how uh, it's a city field strategy, one that is, uh, you know, more about working the counts on base percentage and grinding out at-bats. And when other pitchers see that, and when Alonzo's at the plate, they see the, the power, the one real scary guy that at any moment could hit the ball out. You saw that last night in the ninth inning. They're going to pitch them inside. All along, we talk about, oh, the game today is this and that, and it's no good, and pitchers don't know how to pitch. Well, what you see is pitchers coming inside. The reason why it's bothering you is because they're doing it to the Mets, and maybe you know other teams are not getting thrown inside as much because maybe they don't have as good a hitters. I mean, I'm just reframing it. I, I know Buck charged out of the dugout, and and I think that was as much building team unity and setting a tone back in D.C. the second or third game of the season, as it was Buck believing that his pitchers were hit. You heard during the broadcast last night that Buck, he's very calculated. He wanted to position the desk in the manager's office in Anaheim away from facing the trainer's room because he was afraid if they if, if players saw him sitting there and they saw them he, he saw them going into the trainer's room, he wouldn't want to keep them in the lineup. I mean, that's how to the T Buck is. It's brilliant, actually. I have to tell you, he is more, he is everything and more that I thought you were getting as a manager. So, I mean, go back to that. That's the point. To to react with the hit by pitch, say, somebody's got to go down. What do you, so you want to go hit Manny Machado and knock him out for the year? That's, that's mature. That's exactly how you think. You think Taiwan Walker or Carlos Carrasco or even Chris Bassett or anybody, Peterson, McGill, Trevor Williams, pick a name. You think that's what they want? On that's what they want. That's how they want to get back. You know, you get back at people being hit, you beat them, and you continue to win, and you continue to hit them, and you continue to 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 make them pay for that by making them pay on the scoreboard. Now, if it's intentionally like Roger Clemens did to Piazza, that's a different story. I, I don't know if I've seen all that. A lot of what you've seen, the machismo, going back to the Juan Lopez situation, was all about team building. These guys, listen to that Lindor quote. These guys get it. They're drinking from the the, the chalice, the Buck Walter chalice. They're drinking from it. They know exactly what their goal is. They know exactly what's in front of them, and they know exactly what needs to get done. You heard it from Lindor in that quote from the Mike Puma article in the Post. They understand that it's play today, grind it out today, move on to tomorrow. And when you look at the total pie, which is what they did in the California you come out pretty much where you're at. Yeah, sure, you would love six and four. I'll tell you what, unlike the San Francisco-Denver uh, trip where I thought, eh, they really should have come away better than three and three, 
I'll take five and five because this could be so much worse. Things could have went bad in L.A. And you and I both know things could have got bad last night. Uh, early on, Walker didn't look like he had his stuff. And all you could keep seeing is Diaz walking a couple of guys at Shohai Tani coming up, hitting one to the moon. And you basically got a chance to see the best hitter in all of baseball. Diaz, mano y mano. I mean, that's such a test for Diaz. It's not going to get tougher or better than Mike Trout in a postseason series. All right, Mookie Betts, baby. That's as good as it gets. I mean, that's a guy where I thought Walker threw him a nice splitter in one of those at-bats when they were miking him up, and he said basically he missed that pitch. I'm like, oh, that was a pretty good pitch. I think to myself, hey, Mike, that was a pretty good pitch. That's how good he is. That's how good he is. So the division is going as we expected. We knew it was going to tighten with the Braves coming back. The Phillies a bit of a, a notch below. And the Marlins, pesky, pesky, probably low 80s win team. This is going to be tough. This league is tough. You've got teams like Milwaukee who are coming into a city field with a 550 winning percentage out of the playoffs as of today. You've got three teams out west, the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Giants. Right now, the Giants are the top wild card. Uh, I mean, excuse me, the Padres are the top wild card. The Giants are in the wild card, and the Braves are in the wild card. Guess what? You play tomorrow, uh, and the Mets have the best winning percentage of baseball they're going in and they're facing the Padres. Well, no, they're they're going to be a bye team. But it's very likely after that bye, they're going to face the Braves or the Giants or the Padres in a division series. You think that's going to be easy? Now's the time to get the kinks out. Now's the time to get into that adversity and see what's going on. We're going to take a quick break. But when I come back, there is... A concern. We got to talk about the trade deadline because I think there's a it's starting to be talked about, but I've been thinking about it for a couple of weeks that they're going to be challenged with this Mets team improving themselves, uh, improving themselves in a way that maybe you think they want to improve themselves or they should improve themselves. And also the starting rotation. What's wrong with Chris Bassett? And right now they're winning, especially since Scherzer went out. And they're winning in a different way than they won the first six or seven weeks of the season. The way they're winning now is fine for today. I'm not sure it's sustainable to win throughout a short postseason series and beat elite teams in the postseason. So let's take a quick break. When we return, we'll talk more about that right after this. I've never dealt with it. <laughs> I mean, um, I'm beyond embarrassed um, and really upset that I'm putting our bullpen guys in positions to basically clean up the rest of the game, but it's something I've literally never have went through. Um, so literally it's just get to work tomorrow and keep on keeping on. But uh, yeah, it's uh, to say it's frustrating would be a big time understatement. So since May 24th, I think that's when Scherzer went down. And going into last night's game, and this probably dropped a little bit with the great outing by Taiwan Walker, the uh, the Mets starters have produced a 5.28 ERA. Not the kind of performance that leads to sustainable winning. And you knew there'd be a drop-off when Scherzer went down because now you're taking an elite top five starter Worst-case scenario, top 10 in all of baseball, and you're replacing him with some combination of Trevor Williams and Zapucky and Peterson popping in and out now that McGill is back, and, and that's a big drop-off, even though I think McGill and Peterson and Trevor Williams are not trash. Uh, uh, you know, you're looking at five, five innings, maybe six, three runs. You're not looking at six shutout innings or seven shutout innings and being able to keep you in a ball game when you can't score any runs. What's concerning to me, and maybe not surprising, because when we did that show about the San Francisco loss, the 13-12 loss, and the synopsis of where it's at, we talked about Chris Bassett and his poor outing. And basically, in the month of June, he's got an ERA over eight. And since Scherzer went down, he's got an ERA north of seven. And we could go in and I could go to Baseball Savant and look at his, you know, uh, spin rate and his horizontal movement and 
all these other velo ratings, and I mean, certainly maybe there's a mechanical adjustment. But what I think, and, and somebody pointed out, maybe not having Scherzer in his ear and, and that whole coffee clatch that was going on in the dugout with Scherzer and Bassett, and sometimes McGill and Peterson would go in as they'd be looking at the iPad throughout, having Scherzer rehab in Florida away from the team, which I know some people sounded annoyed by, but you know, doing rehab, uh, I guess you could want him to sit in the dugout, and maybe he will at some point at City Field. Uh, I'm not sure that... You know, a veteran like that who's making that kind of money said, this is how I want to rehab. And he probably wants to spend some time with his family that he doesn't get the opportunity to and pretty much do his rehab away from the team. Some guys, when you're not with the team, you don't feel like you're productive just sitting on the bench. Maybe Scherzer would be helpful that way, but but who knows? So I always feared when Bassett, who was really nicely slotted behind Scherzer and was going to get pushed even further back when DeGrom comes back, I thought he may have saw this opportunity. Well, now I need to be the ace. Pending free agent. He did get his money, so you can't say it's the contract. But that option for $19 million, I mean, I think that's a mutual option, if I'm not mistaken. So there's no guarantee. So now the mindset is I could nicely do my thing behind Scherzer, no pressure, to I am now the best pitcher or supposed to be the ace of the staff. He knows that the fans are going to look to him to be great. He knows that they're out there playing the Dodgers and the Padres, and these are the kind of teams that you're going to potentially see the Mets play in the postseason, and he could get a Game 3 start. Or, right now, you might give that to Carrasco, if Scherzer and DeGrom are in the rotation, a Game 4 start. And all of a sudden, your mind starts to play tricks. Maybe you tighten the ball a little more. Maybe you don't pitch. He's a thinking man's pitcher. Maybe you don't pitch exactly the way that you normally would. And that all that whole small things turn the whole thing around, and then there's where you see the ERA over eight. I think tomorrow's start against Milwaukee will be interesting because they're coming back home. He clearly, from the clip you heard coming in, totally disgusted himself. And this is a guy that probably beats himself up all the time. This is not a guy that's going out there. I mean... He he really is an artist. Look at how he how annoyed he was by Mazika and Mazika's game calling. I mean, maybe sometimes there's a certain amount of overthinking there, but I personally think, and I haven't heard anybody, I haven't heard Jerry Jeremy Hefner. I'm sure there is some mechanical or pitch selection because he's even said in other starts. I think it was the first time he got hit by San Francisco at City Field. Scherzer came back to him and said, You're, "That's the wrong approach." And maybe not having that kind of mentorship uh, hurts him to a certain degree. But I could see a guy not knowing him personally at all or hearing any information to indicate that this is at all real. This is just total sitting around talking baseball speculation. This guy is feeling the pinch of being the ace right now, helping hold the fort down in that rotation, and also knowing that he's got to perform to get paid. Right now, as of this morning, he's a below-league average pitcher. This is probably the worst performance he's had since pre-Tommy John surgery in 2016. He's been significantly above league average. The one thing I am looking out for is his walks are a skush up, and that could be hurting him. Well, why are they up? Is it pitch selection? Is something off? You know, Is it precursor to him not being healthy? We have no idea. The walks are higher now than they've been in a couple of years, but not significantly higher. I mean, he was nearly three walks a game in 2019. He was a lot less than that last year and during the pandemic season. So maybe there's something there. Maybe it's mechanical, what have you. In the end, I think Chris Bassett is a really solid number three starter who potentially could provide you some days where he squeezes into the top of the rotation. I think he's better than... Walker, and in some ways, if Carrasco is healthy, Carrasco's shown they're very similar, where they're nice number threes who could give you top of the rotation performances here and there, but not consistently. I thought Bassett potentially at age 33 was starting to figure himself out where maybe he could walk into that number two because his numbers in the past couple of years have really fallen into that. But I haven't seen that enough, and he doesn't go deep enough into games. You know, you got to get into the seventh inning for me to say you're number one or number two. 
or have the ability to get into the seventh inning of those games. So, you know, that's how I feel about Bassett. Now, here's where things are going to get tough. Because already you see, I saw on Baseball Night in New York, they're already speculating who could the Mets go and get. And Wilson Contreras, the catcher from the Cubs' name, is out there. And everybody's, you know, I mean, Nelson Cruz, if you noticed, is starting to heat up in Washington. Look, J.D. Davis with a big home run yesterday. You really have to have an honest assessment of your DH spot and say, do I have the horses here to get it done? What's really sad is all for the old Dom Smith fangirls out there, fanboys, fangirls, I'll make it old both sides because if I just say fangirls, they'll all get mad at me. Um, the fact of the matter is that the perfect scenario for those two guys is to platoon the position, maybe play a little hot hand or play the matchups, not, not strictly lefty-righty, and put together, to with both of their performances, they should be able to put together 20, 25 home runs together, maybe driving 75 runs, hit about 270, kind of what we thought we'd get out of Robinson Cano and something along those ways. And neither one, I mean, J.D.'s starting to hit the ball a little better. The other guy's in AAA playing in who knows where. The fact that they if they don't take this opportunity right now, Either they're not as good as we thought we they were. Maybe this place is not for them. Or, you know, quite simply, they're not that good. It could be the third part, quite simply. I think for Dom it is. I'm not sure about J.D., but I'm starting to point that way with J.D. And he's plenty of times I don't see him catch up to the fastball, especially high and inside. So everybody's starting to salivate over this whole, you know, who could the Mets get? The trade deadline is August 2nd, which is about, you know, six, seven weeks away. Not not close. A lot could happen in seven weeks. A lot could happen in two weeks or a week or five days. But one of the things about the extra wild card that we're seeing is there are a lot of teams in it. So you start to go to the American League, and even though the Tigers are 11 games under 500 right now, they're seven games out. In the wild card. So here you are. Mets are six up in the loss column of the Braves. Freaking the, you know, the, you know what out. Oh, they're going to lose the division. But the Tigers in the wild card, and I know when, that's a different scenario when you have all these teams jump together, but at seven games out or out of it, the White Sox, everybody wants to fire Tony LaRussa. They're three and a half out of the wild card. Texas, three under, three out. LA, the team we just, Anaheim, I should say, that, you know, hey, Aaron Loop would look pretty good in a Mets uniform, right? You know, I don't know if that's even feasible trading for him. They're three and a half out. Seattle, four and a half out. I mean, other than Oakland and Kansas City in the American League, everybody else is in it. In the National League, same deal. Maybe the Nats, Cubs, Reds at the bottom are out of it. Everybody else is. What will be interesting is how serious will GMs and owners be at the deadline and say, I'm five out on August 2nd. I've got four or five teams ahead of me. Do I want to at least give my fan base August and September hope and try to play this out to see what happens? Or should I tell them, hey, go watch the NFL? Now, I know there's going to be a team or two. And, and there actually, this there, there is a point to this. It's not just me mocking it. They're going to say, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Go watch the NFL. I'll, I'll make as much money uh, cutting costs. But what I do think will happen is I think the cost will go up of who you're going to acquire. You know, you hear a name like uh, Andrew Chafin from the Tigers. Let's say the Tigers are five out. And Andrew Chafin, a guy that I thought the Mets should sign, and, and, and uh, as much as I've thought, Billy Epler did a nice job when he was jammed in. So Andrew Chafin, I think he's got a two-year deal. Yeah, he's got he's got a six and a half million player option for next year. Uh, they don't have to trade him. You think he's going to come cheap? A lefty that gets both lefties and righties out. David Robertson in Chicago, different story. Was a scrap heap injury guy. Has a great history. Has a history here in New York. I don't think it's going to cost you a prospect to the status of Pete Crow Armstrong, like what you gave up for Javier Baez, but. You know, maybe that is a bigger deal. Maybe Wilson Contreras is a bigger part of that deal where they want to put Robertson in to get a better package for that kind of guy. So maybe that turns where the Mets, it's not a fit. You don't know. 
But what I will say is if that wild card, that wild card, that extra wild card lowers the bar, it's going to force GMs to at least say, all right, if I'm going to punt on this season and get all this grief and my owner is going to get all this grief for basically telling his fan base, watch college football, watch the NFL. We'll see you in spring training, even though I'm technically in the race. And once you get into that tournament, anything can happen. And it's possible you might, I mean, I know you might not get a home gate if you're in the wild card game because it's three games in the other team's ballpark, but you never know. I want to make sure I get some equity back. Because for for the last few years, it's been, well, you know, free agent, can't give up prospects, can't give up prospects, you can't get anything. There's always these years you'd have to give up something to, you know, Mets were, were a team that always have to give, get, give up something to get something. As soon as they became the team that was selling for those years, I'm, I'm, sorry, uh, bad market. Bad market. Can't afford to give you anything. Best trade they ever made was the Wheeler for Beltron. That was probably the best acquisition in season you can make. And, and, and Beltron was a free agent, but he knew. Alderson knew the Giants needed an offense, and he leveraged it, and he got that kind of prospect. It's possible there are going to be teams that do the same thing to the Mets. I think outside of Alvarez and maybe Beatty, and I would even put Beatty, guys like Mauricio, Viento, so on and so forth, even... Guys further down, depending on the quality of the player, you may have to have a very painful trade deadline deal. Supply and demand is simple economics, and it falls into the same thing with baseball. MLB.com wrote a good piece. Uh, let me bring it up here. Basically putting the trade candidates. It was written back on, I'm trying to find the date, uh, back on June 7th. You could probably Google it over at MLB.com. One trade chip for each team, and and it's pretty good. It brings up names like, you know, here's a name the Mets could use a DH, Trey Mancini, um, you know, has a mutual option. J.D. Martinez, I think is out. You know, we talked a little bit about that with Anthony Rivera last week. Now that the Red Sox are in the wild card, I can't see them just dumping them. The Red Sox are not going to punt on this season. It's going to take a lot for them to punt on this season. Andrew Benatendi, not sure that guy's a fit for the Mets. Of course, the pitchers like Frankie Montas and Luis Castillo, Josh Bell, we've talked about him. You know, they even bring up how if the Phillies fall out, out of it, Kyle Gibson, uh, David Robertson's name is on there. Uh, you know, I think I think it was our friend Pat Ragazzo over at Sports Illustrated mentioned Andrew Chafin and David Robertson. And what's frustrating, and I think I got into that point, and I kind of got off track here, is that I thought both of those were interesting fits for the Mets. I think the one thing that Billy Epler, and we don't know why, and maybe he'll talk about it at some point post-lockout, should have been more aggressive in going after a more elite left-handed reliever. Now, I think Chasen Shreve has been disappointing because I saw some flashes early on. For whatever reason, I don't think Buck particularly has ever trusted him from day one. And Joely Rodriguez, I'm not crying over Castro, guys. Go look at Castro's splits. Hey, Castro was another version of this guy. I think he can get elite lefties out at a fairly high clip. But I think in the three battle rules scenario, he struggles. And he's sure he struggles with his command. He do, He's done enough for me to say you could survive with him until you find someone better, if you find someone better. Because the cost is going to be high. So as we are in this, what does this team need portion of the season? I think it's clear that they need relievers. I think it's clear that they could use a lefty reliever. And Andrew Chaffin is perfect. I mean, he gets lefties and righties out. Now, will they have I mean, the wild card situation is going to make things very interesting. And then if you get enticed as a GM of one of these teams that's in the muck, I call it in the muck as the wild card, you're going to say to Billy Epple, hey, Billy, what are you going to give me that makes this worth it to me? I still got Chafin for another year. I could trade him next year. I might want to contend next year. I think I need him. You're going to make this worth my while? It's not going to be for a bag of balls. You might have to give up a Mark Vientos. I mean, is Dom Smith... Enough of a chip where you could go to Detroit. I mean, even Chicago might say, you want David Robertson, I'll just hold on to him, man. I, I'm, I stink, but unless I get something of real value, like I'll trade him. If it, It's not going to just trade him to the sake of trading him. I'm going to trade him if I get value. Maybe you have to give up Dom Smith or J.D. Davis. I know you like saying, no, no, no. Yeah. Supply and demand. Less teams out of it. More, you know, the higher the price is. Now, Walker Bueller, and you talk about starting pitching, if for some reason there's a, a snafu with DeGrom or Scherzer, and they're going to be out longer, and you you definitely going to eventually need to upgrade the rotation if those guys are not part of the mix. 
Are you think Montos with now that the Dodgers don't have potentially Walker Bueller? You don't think they're going to be in on a guy like that? I mean, look at Anderson. He goes over from Pittsburgh. Journeyman guy he goes to L.A. Now he's, you know, can't hit him. Take a guy like Montos, anybody, they'll be better. I mean, look at our old friend. It's amazing teams like Houston and L.A. They've kind of figured out the secret sauce. I was looking at and you'll see Houston. We'll see Houston next week. Hector Neris, who could never get into Mets out in Philadelphia, is becoming an elite reliever. I always thought he had good stuff. Tough. He was a nasty. He had nasty. Uh, was it splitter? Nasty splitter. Uh, now he's elite. Same thing with the Dodgers. You know, that's how it plays out. So keep in mind, you know, Bassett's struggles are a problem because that's your solid number three behind the two aces. Or even solid number two if DeGrom never reemerges. See, I'm more convinced Scherzer will be back than DeGrom. I've always been that way. I'm not as concerned about Scherzer's injury. Shoulders, I get, bother me a lot. You know that. Uh, not going to be easy. And and the less team, you know, if you look at that that list, there's a number of names on there. I mean, great. I'd love Trey Mancini, mutual option. What is it going to cost to get Trey Mancini? I mean, you guys love Dom Smith. The rest of the league is on to him. He's not, they don't know him. He's nice to have. I don't think he's going to be the center of a package. Maybe for a reliever. And think about it. You guys are all ready to trade Jeff McNeil for a reliever. I guess get Jeff McNeil. Dom Smith is the guy that's really going to be traded for a reliever. So, Um, anyway, that's what I have. That's something to think about as we get into the early phases of what does this team need? Not going to be easy to fill that bullpen. Not going to be easy if you have to get another starter. I mean, that's why DeGrom and Scherzer, we're kind of at a point where we need to see where this is going in the next couple of weeks. Another bat? Very hard. Best case scenario is JD figures it out. And who knows? Maybe they see something in AAA with Dom Smith, and maybe he's been able to recalibrate, get his head back. You know, I don't know if it's still the shoulder that's bothering him. Maybe, you know, remember when Conforto came back from the shoulder, it took him a while to get going. And then those guys platoon at that position, and and Dom gets back up here and 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 hits at a reasonably decent level, a component player level. Can he give you an OPS a, a slightly above league average? Can he hit righties well? Can he pop you a home run? Can he have quality at bats? Because I didn't see many quality at bats from Dom. We'll see. He hasn't done that yet. All right, let's take a quick break. We're gonna wrap up. When I come back, I'll tell you about my homer ballot. We'll wrap up with the schedule right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. So I figured I shared this on Twitter. You could follow me over at Mike Silva Media. I broke down, and and some years I don't. I, I really got to be honest. I've said this. I'm just not into All Star games. I can't sit and watch them. I hated it when it was let's play for home field. Like every other sport could just do best record. Baseball's got to try to always jam silly things in, and thank God they changed that. I did get into the last few times the Pete Alonzo home run derby thing. I think that was kind of cool, even though I'm not big on those kind of events, you know, skills competitions and stuff, three-point shooting contests. Just not into it anymore. I, maybe I'm an old fart. Maybe it's, it's just I feel like there's so much baseball. The season's such a grind. Give me the three days off. Let me see the results. Maybe see some highlights. Need to walk away from the sport for a few days. But I thought the Pete Alonso thing was interesting. I think Pete's personality played into that a little bit. But I decided to break down and put my own ballot together for all-star voting. And I think you could do five a day. And I'll admit, for the National League, I did a homer ballot. I did a homer ballot. I put Pete Alonso in the lineup. I put Jeff McNeil. I put Lindor. Probably should have been Trey Turner. And I voted for Brandon Nemo, even though you probably could argue that Ronald Acuna is probably better fit. So my desired all-star lineup, a game that I probably won't watch. Maybe if all these guys made it, I will. I mean, think about it. In 2006, Mets could have a kind of a, a similar situation here. They had Beltron, Glavin, LaDuca, Delgado, Reyes, I thought. Was it Wagner? 
Who else went to the? Was it Wagner? Was it Laduca? I can't remember now. Wright, Beltron, Glavin. No, it was Wright, Beltron, Glavin, Reyes, Wagner. Five guys went to the All Star game. I think that's the way it went. I'd have to look it up. I know that I have baseball reference in front of me. I just don't care enough to look it up. I'll tell you that. Would it be cool? I mean, that's a four starters. That's like big red machine territory. I do not think Nimmo makes it. I think Acuna probably makes it over him. Now, as far as McNeil at second base, um, I, I don't think he's going to make it because his numbers aren't sexy enough. But I'll tell you what. You start to go up and down second base. If people are being honest, I mean, they'll probably get Ozzy Albies on his uh, history will get some votes. Uh, you look up and down. Jonathan India, you know, not having a great year, but no home runs yet. But uh, Gene Segura's how Colt. I mean, it's really, I mean, and that's the thing. McNeil really is the one that deserves to start at second base. Gavin Lux, maybe. Maybe the Dodgers fans will actually care enough to, to stuff the ballot box. So I think that it's possibility that and, and and I don't think Lindor will make it because I think Trey Turner will, but I think that that there's an outside shot that my Homer ballot and you know I I hate being a Homer, but legitimately those guys deserve it. So I got Alonzo McNeil. I voted for Arenado at third, Lindor at short, Mookie Betts, Brandon Nimmo, Juan Soto, Yadier Molina behind the plate. That's a little sentimental. No Mets fans don't want to hear it. And then Bryce Harper is the DH. And then on the American League side, I did Vlad Guerrero Jr., Jose Altuve at second. Devers at third, Tim Anderson at short, Aaron Judge, George Springer, Mike Trout in the outfield. Alejandro Kirk, that little guy, and I had said on Twitter that I thought Francisco Alvarez looked like looked like him. Well, I said he looked because he had bad clothes on, looked a little chubby. People got crazy. And then J.D. Martinez, the DH. I don't think J.D. Martinez is going to make his way to flushing now that the Red Sox are playing. So I'm curious. You guys want to let me know your ballots. That's up to you. I don't get crazy about this, but... It will be interesting as the season progresses in the next two weeks, three weeks. I think they probably announce things like the first, right after the 4th of July, probably everything gets finalized. So you're in the home stretch here. It'll be interesting to see how much support the Mets get in the All-Star game. And, um, you know, you got to think Scherz and DeGrom are probably out. Well, definitely DeGrom, Scherz is out. I don't think anybody in the bullpen, you know, Diaz probably makes it. Unless something crazy happens in the next few weeks. Diaz deserves it. I'd be happy for him. Realistically, forget about voting. Alonzo probably gets in either way. McNeil probably gets in either way. Nimmo's a push because he's not sexy, even though because his, his numbers you have to dive into analytically. So I don't I think he's more likely not to make it than make it. Lindor probably makes it in some capacity. And then Diaz. So you probably have three, four guys make the all-star team. It's that time of the year where we could talk about that stuff. So anyway, that's that. We're back on a normal schedule. Here's the best news I heard. I think I saw somebody tweet that the Mets like have two games now, two or three games the rest of the year that start after 8 o'clock. Thank God. It makes the show so much easier. And, uh, you know, I know that there's a lot of people that want to stay up late for West Coast games. And I said sometimes there's a charm to them because you get a lot of stuff done. Then you can round out your evening at 10 o'clock starting with a game. Eh, you know, maybe for a week it's good. Ten days, it, you know, by the end of the ten-day road trip, you're like, I've had enough. And you got some interesting matchups. You got to finally get to see the Marlins and what that team is all about. That's the team that I said was going to be that pesky, uh, you know, nineteen times eighty-something team that, even though they're not great, are going to annoy you probably all nineteen times when you play them. They won't be easy games. Haven't seen the Astros in a long, long time. We haven't seen them since all the controversy. So you see the Dusty Baker humble pie Astros. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you got a lot of Marlins. You got some Braves coming up before the All-Star break. They got to go to Chicago, Cincinnati. Uh, the Rangers come to town. So it is, there's a good number of things going on that, uh, you know, will be interesting. Those things that we could uh, check out here. And the Mets just got to keep, it's like what Buck says, plug away every day. Grind it out. Win today. Focus on tomorrow. And, you know, we're going to continue to see, does this team, as constituted, we clearly think they need some bullpen arms. The Bassett situation is something to watch because if Bassett is off or having a down year or declining, that changes. Even with DeGrom and Scherzer back, that changes the dynamic of that rotation quite a bit. And then you have to take seriously, can they can they get a quality arm? And between a quality arm and bullpen help, it's going to be very, very expensive. 
So get ready to give up something that will pain you, and then we'll hear for the rest of our you know next three or four years what the guy's doing in single A because that's what this fan base does. Fan base panics every time there's a law. 105 win pace, they're still panicking, which to me is absurd. And every prospect that hits 300 in single A is the next thing since whatever. But you get it. All right, that's it. want to thank everybody for tuning in. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can just show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. I want to thank the good folks from the fan side of Podcasting Network as well as risingapple.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another podcast this coming Sunday. Till then, take care, everybody. Our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.